So, Bart, I was uh, observing your shoes. Those look like a special pair there. They are. Why? Special custom than Nikes. Nikes, which I'm a fan Well, because I love P44, so I want P44 on the Nikes, but most of all, I love our customers. Yeah? So, so I try guys... to represent the customer. Okay. And I always think in the business that we are in and the way technology should work today, it's really being a true partner with your customer. Is and it? Here's a question, though, more of a fashion thing. As a, you, you've done a lot of public speaking. You were at Gartner before you were in Project 44. My wife tells me that I can't wear sneakers to an event with a suit. Is that, are those rules valid? Is it because it's a customer you're allowed to do that? Well, I would say in general, I've thought the same thing for a long time. I think probably um, Jet has been wearing Jordans for forever. And I just go like, I need to wear dress shoes. That was the culture I came from, PepsiCo and then Gardner. Yeah. And then I started doing it. And I will tell you, no one ever made comments about my other shoes. And now when I wear the Nikes, people immediately notice them. I'll, I'm in a hotel and people will just go, I love your shoes. They're, they're, they're quite cool. So Bart, we're not here to talk about shoes, but we are here to talk about a lot of the data elements in the business, uh, what's happening. You know, you work for a company, Project 44 is arguably the if not the most successful venture back company of the of this generation, it's arguably in the top three. But it, you know, the visibility conversation, um, there's been a lot of question about whether that is a part of the hype cycle or has been sort of, is it achieving the goals that it set out to achieve? You've been at Project 44, I think two years now, year and a half, two years. What what would you say about the record for visibility? Yeah, I think sometimes people, um, two, two parts of it, one on the hype, the need is still there, right? So it's not overhyped in the sense that it's something that people don't need. We hear it still every day, people look at visibility. But the fact is, it is still a fairly immature market. If you talk to other transportation technologies like TMS or telematics or things that we've been using for 20, 30 years, don't forget that visibility has only been around truly for the last eight or nine years and in the beginning, it was very immature. Now we're starting to get to a level of maturity. I always compare it to the life cycle of a human. We're young adolescents. We haven't reached maturity yet. So the, the, the question is always, how well do you continue to evolve that? Uh, and I think it's also going with data that, we, that we'll talk about in what stage of visibility are we really at? And I think it really creates a dose of reality around what is the use case we're trying to solve for today? And then what is potentially feasible in the future, but being realistic about what we can offer today? So let's talk about what we can do today. Yeah. So as all technologies that are new and emerging, there's always the hope that it can accomplish these great things. It often doesn't live up to the super hype that it that it's set out for, um, but it does achieve some things. What What is visibility today's capabilities that it's truly... If someone came to you and said, hey, I, I, what can you absolutely promise that it can do today? Yeah. Well, most of the companies that are still struggling around visibility is really just very basic understanding, where's my product, right? The Wismo, where's my order? Where is that product? Maybe if it's over the road, if it's maybe multimodal ocean, where is that container stuck at the port? And we see it because we see it in the data. Is so many of these customers whose containers are stuck at the port going into the merge they have no idea. They have no visibility to that. And they're very happy. They're not happy, but they're not aware that they're paying millions of dollars for all those demerge fees. So visibility today can help with that independent of mode, independent of where you are in the world. 
multimodal international movements to really understand where is my order, when is it going to get there, and how do I achieve the most efficient way of getting it there at the lowest cost, meaning not lowest rate, but not having, truly having the lowest rate, meaning you're not going to have all these demerge, detention charges, penalties when you go and deliver it. And that is a reality today. So you can achieve, so somebody said, hey, I'm, I'm looking to know where my stuff is and to make sure I can manage my detention and my demerge. That is something that it absolutely can do today. Correct. So let's talk about what it can't do today. That oftentimes when there's implementations that customers are frustrated, um, where does, what are the things that customers anticipate it can do that just frankly isn't there today? The capabilities just aren't there. Yeah, I always refer to it as five stages, right? And one stage is building the network. We've built the network. We continue to extend the network because we know we all know transportation is incredibly segmented, right? So it, it would be foolish for any vendor to say, we've connected to every logistics provider around the world. It's an ongoing process. We'll probably never be finished with that. The second part is then making sure you have all the data. So the, the carriers are compliant. They give you all the data and they consistently give you data. That's still a struggle today. That's why you don't have 100% compliance. But then again, people that are used to technology, they, for example, implemented demand planning, you wouldn't get 100% compliant forecast when you start that. The best of companies, like I worked with for PepsiCo for 10 years, with a new company or new um, technology, you would start at 40%. And then if you're best in class, you have 70 to 75%. Unfortunately, with visibility, there's this notion that day one, you get to 100%, which isn't the case. Now, you're also asking, what is not yet there? Well, we can provide those ETAs. We can provide you the insights similar to what you guys do with Sonar. What you can't do yet, although we can predict things, we can prescribe things, potentially we could automate things, is that companies really don't have the maturity or don't have the processes in place to take those insights to make real-time decisions and even potentially to execute in real-time on those real-time decisions. But that's not a technology issue. That's how companies need to evolve with the technology and the insights that companies like FreightWaves, like P44, and others are providing. So let's talk a little bit about companies that you work with and talk about the onboarding process. So part of the, I mean, you were at Gartner. You know the hype cycle. Mm -hmm. You guys have sort of created the whole hype cycle concept around it. Oftentimes, customers buy technologies and are frustrated with the outcomes. We talked yesterday with Pete about TMSs being a constant struggle. Um, how does the visibility providers, how have you guys matured and perhaps others in the industry have matured their onboarding process to ensure that customers get what they expect and also they build processes around those successful implementations? Yeah, I think one thing that the most important is how do you build the processes and your products around true use cases and valued use cases. So I think companies should get away in the technology sector from trying to sell technology or technology solutions, right? You refer to the hype cycle. And by the way, the hype cycle by Gartner is not created to create a hype around technology. It's actually the opposite. It's taking technologies that are hyped and saying, what is the reality of it? What's the value that those technologies could bring to your organization? And in what timeline? Is it today? Is it maybe in five years? Is it in 10 years? And what do you need to look at? So it's very important to, to focus around the use cases because if you don't focus on that, let's say blockchain, right? We know blockchain, I think that's the first time we, we started 
and we met at Beta. But blockchain and technology had a great promise, but we saw other vendors going out there to the market saying, you should use blockchain and then let's go figure out a use case where we can use it. That's kind of putting, like a solution putting the, the cart in front of the horse. Absolutely. So especially in this economic environment, it all needs to be built around value because companies are not going to invest in technology unless it creates hard dollars. So that's first thing. And I think vendors like Project 44, we've become a lot smarter around that to do that value-based selling. And then the second part is delivery. Because again, young companies can be incredibly well at marketing, at selling, maybe even at implementing, but not always be as good in kind of customer support and execution. And that's become a lot more important. I would say we made massive amounts of progress there the last year, last year and a half to making sure that <clears throat> all the promises that were made and things around compliance are being more automated. We achieve higher levels of compliance and customers are happy with the solutions. And only then when you have that basis, then you can look to the future of what else can we do with this data and how can we create even more value upstream in the supply chain? So Bart, you, you know, working, working at Gartner, got to see technologies across the whole landscape, talked to a lot of shippers as well as carriers and logistics providers and companies themselves. You pick Project 44 for a reason. Why of all the companies that you had the opportunity to join, why did you join P44 specifically? Well, when I looked at it, right, and I said, hey, there's so much going on in the world of supply chains, specifically logistics. And I've been a logistics guy for over 30 years. I started in logistics in Europe on the 3PL and the asset-based side. That's where my passion grew for logistics and then for logistics tech. But when I saw the market, I really thought visibility is the area that ha holds the biggest promise. And if you would have asked me a few years before, I would have said, it's probably kind of a, an equal interest in digital freight, last mile, and visibility. And then I really started to see through COVID the demand for visibility and what data can do. But again, there's two parts of that, is what data, the promised data holds and what you can effectively do with it. But visibility was that one area. And then, you know, I worked with so many different uh, vendors who were customers or not customers of Gardner, but that we worked with. And I just liked the culture at the company, which is very important as well, and how they approach the customer. Meaning, as an analyst, you see a lot of vendors. Some of them, they go, well, we've got to talk to Gardner, keep these guys happy, or we want to hopefully get in some of their research. And then there's the true customers that look for your advice and implement your advice. And I would say in general, those are the same companies when they listen to an analyst or the companies that listen to customers. And I think as a technology vendor, when you evolve, the worst thing you can do is stop listening to your customers because now your product is no longer in line with their needs. And that's another, I think, powerful thing I saw at Project 44. The venture, you know, you've been in this business for many years. I've been around it or in it for many years as well. The 2015 is sort of the born on of the venture Mm -hmm. uh, sort of first couple of companies that sort of got venture funded. We saw an enormous amount of investment over the last couple of years. Um, we've also seen some businesses that perhaps made promises that maybe even uh, you, one of your neighbors uh, in South Lake Texas or West Lake Texas, I think, yep. uh, actually committed outright fraud and slink. And I think Chris Kirshner is now probably going to prison or at least being prosecuted for it. How do we know what's real? You, when you look at what's real and what's not, how do we, how does companies and decision makers that are trying to evaluate potential vendors know what's real and what's not? Yeah, it's very difficult, right? Uh, and, and again, as part of Gardner, I advised a lot of venture capital, private equity companies who were investing at the time. And 
digital freight was a good ex example where everyone on their business case was saying, well, we're going to get it grasp a part of that trillion dollar business. But at the time, most digital freight providers only were competing with spot market, which is a very small part of that trillion dollar For business. For the most part, they're freight brokers, were they not? Co correct. They became true digital freight brokers. But a lot of in the beginning, it was like, let's just get you the cheapest rate from any source possible. And, and so it's not a trillion dollar opportunity. It was maybe a 50 to a hundred billion dollar opportunity. Cause it's the so, margin itself, the, the chlorine price. Well, it's, it's the part of the market. And then out of that is, is the margin. So now if you look at it, you're only attacking a part of that trillion dollars. And then you look at the margin. Now you're really, instead of 20% brokerage margin, 6%, now you're looking at a really small opportunity. And that's where I think the venture capital market thought, well, we're going to have this big part of a big slice. It was actually a small part of a much smaller slice. And I think there, at the time, there were so many new companies coming up in logistics tech, that it was very difficult to differentiate. A lot of tourists, you know, we talked earlier on the private equity panel uh, about the fact that there's a lot of tourists that have invested in this space. Yes. Uh, and, and many VCs were tourists. Some of them have yeah. gotten religion about it. Yeah, a lot of people that, uh, they admit it. They say, we have no idea what supply chain is. We've never invested in this area. And we just have to trust, one, what the tech companies say, um, but we also have to trust advisors. But obviously, what can you tell them in a half-hour call, right? There's only so much you can tell them. So a lot of times they went with their gut, and a lot of times bad decisions were made. So I think, again, if you look at the current economic climate, it's going to be one of those, I always refer to wooden ships. When you go through a storm, the bad ships will sink to the bottom. The good ships, will they sail along, they go to smoother waters, they will survive. We go, we're going to see that in the tech vendor space, where in the next year or so, you're going to see some of the maybe bad models fall out of the market and the good ones will survive. And so that's where we'll see who really has the right model, the right approach with the customer. And it's not just having the right solution or being the best at marketing. It's who can create the most value for the customer. Does visibility win out? Is it a real technology that's going to sustain this um the end of the cycle, if you will, the venture cycle? Is it going to be something that's going to be with us for the next decade? It is, and, but you got to see it as a true platform. It's a network. Everyone needs a network. Networks evolve just like telecommunication networks. It's the data, but what we're now starting to see is the data isn't just used at the execution level. Now we're starting to see it go into logistics execution, transportation planning. We're working with partners where we pull it up all the way into supply chain planning. So when we, we talked about, you guys talked about inventories, high level of inventories. When you do your replenishment planning, you take that real-time data to say, I know exactly how much lead time I need if I order today, in a month, in two months. So I don't go short on inventory, but I also don't create this additional inventory problem. You know, Bart, it strikes me that I think of the visibility networks, as you mentioned, a lot like payments. I spent nine years in the payments business. And I often think of it the way I think of Visa and MasterCard Discover. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it took essentially almost 60 years to get sort of ubiquitous acceptance of credit cards. And you get, I, I just got back from Japan where I was with my, my boys. They still, there's still places that don't take credit cards, but pretty much in the United States, yep. there's hardly any place you can go that doesn't take credit cards. That took 60 years. I often think about the visibility networks much like that. And I think the expectation a lot of customers have is that visibility is 100%. As soon as I bring it online, I'm going to have every single provider, every vendor, every capacity mode across the planet is going to be instantly visible. And I think your message today is that expectation is is wrong, Yep. that this is a journey that's going to be take place over decades, potentially, 
and not one that's an overnight fix. Well, at least years, maybe not decades. And, and it's going to evolve over those decades of what you unleash. But again, start with the value. So if you're happy to say, today I can create $20 million a year of value with visibility, that's what you focus on. Not, is it 50% compliance? Is it 80% compliance? Do I get one message, two messages? What's the value it unlocks? That's how we have to approach it. That's where the promise is. And I can tell you, and I've already seen it in that almost two years that I've been with Project 44, and I'm seeing what the roadmap is of all these other things that you can do based on the data, maybe in your planning systems, maybe in your transportation planning systems, in your procurement systems, because, you know, that whole partnership, the whole network of people that use the data for different reasons, it's a little bit like Amazon, right? They start as a retailer. They become a data company because they know exactly what you buy. I have that on a daily basis where I didn't know I wanted it, but Amazon says I need it. So I guess I better buy it. Is it fair to think of the visibility networks, much like I think of Visa MasterCard in terms of these are, these are integrated platforms. The journey is taking, takes a while, uh, but it will continue to create more acceptance. And the value of the network is based on the mutual acceptance of data. Is that, is that the best analogy or is that a, am I flawed in thinking that? I, I wouldn't quite compare it with the, with the banking world, right? Because there was more like you replacing one thing with another. We've never have had access to the data. We've never been able to do things with data and through AI and machine learning that we have today. So it is come something completely new, but it's really helping and training people and partnering with customers to say, how do you get the best out of it? Not just how do you change your behavior from doing things from EDI to something else, but how do you unlock new capabilities through what visibility can provide? So it's it's quite different. Um, and it's something that I don't think you can compare maybe with anything, except maybe I always use that telecommunications network of, of where we went from original how telephones worked, what we can now do, and then look at your cell phone today is no longer just used for making phone calls. Like my kids never call on the phone. They do all this other stuff with it. That's how you need to look at visibility. It's not just the network and the data, but now what can you do within that application landscape and all that data? What does it unlock for you and how does it create value? I think Visa MasterCard may disagree that moving from cash and check to an electronic network does provide data, which is sort of a new development. But I, I think it's an interesting time. It's, it's interesting where it goes. Where's visibility head from here? Well, like I said, you know, it's going to continue to expand um, we see more and more companies come on. It's a very democratic solution in the sense that it's not just for the biggest. Like TMS started at, if you didn't have a big company with billions of freight, couldn't invest in TMS. That's now being after 30 years, finally being democratized, right? Where you have free TMSs for everyone. Visibility has been like that from day one. So everyone can use it. And that helps build the network. The more you build the network, the more data you're going to have, the better the insights. Because there's a clear correlation between the quality of the inside and just the sheer amount of data that you have. But then the question is, how do you build the right use cases of what you can do with the data? And there again, it's going upstream in the supply chain. So you're replacing maybe customer experience or penalties or detention at the merge where we're talking about millions of dollars or potentially tens of millions of dollars with value creation based on reduction of inventory levels where we talk possibly hundreds of millions of dollars for a single company. That's again, where companies should be focusing on, but it's a journey. You're not gonna get from A to Z in one go. You have to go through the network, the data, the, the basic insights and work your way up from there. Well, Barry, really appreciate your time today. Um, yeah. Thank you. Thanks, Greg.